Hi, friends. Welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. I'm so honored that you took the time to listen today. I pray that each episode is a blessing to you. If it is, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Faithful Podcast. You should also check out my husband, Phil Baker's podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, as well as his brand new album, The Wanderer, which will be released January 7th. You are going to love it. My guest for this episode is Jim Subers. Jim has served as a missionary in Japan, pastored a church, and ran nonprofit organizations. Jim is also the father of one of my very best friends, Joy Meadows, who you might remember from episodes 9 and 10 on the Faithful Podcast. You should check those out as well. He has a heart for serving, and he shares about the faithfulness of God through difficult times. So here's part one of my interview with Jim Subers. I'm here today with Jim Subers. This is one of my very best friend's dads, and he's an amazing guy. He has so much wisdom and insight into uh, ministry and into just what God wants to do in our lives and um, the kind of relationship that God wants with us. So uh, thanks so much for coming out today, Jim. Well, thank you for having me, Stephanie. I know how special your relationship is with Joy, and I'm happy to be part of this. Oh, thank you so much. So um, I want to start out by you just telling us a little bit about yourself. All right. Um, well, I'm married to my sweetheart, Janice for 40 years this year. Wow. So uh, uh, we met at the University of Florida, and I uh, I was kind of captured by her love for Jesus and her spiritual maturity, and and uh, pursued her, and somehow talked her into saying yes. <laughs> and uh, I don't think she knew what she was getting into because we we moved about 18 times and wow. done lots of different things, been around the world, and. Uh, but she's been a wonderful partner in, in uh, life and ministry. We have four adult kids now. Joy, of course, is your good friend, is our only daughter. And then we have three sons, Jason, uh, Jake, and John. Jason's married with three grandsons, just like uh, Joy has given us three grandsons. And, uh, and we have a son, Jake, who is uh, adult with autism. And we have John, our youngest, who is... Uh, uh, just about to be 25, I guess. And uh, um, those two youngest are not yet married. Uh, I was raised in Miami, Florida. I had uh, two younger brothers. Mom and dad were uh, very active in the community. Uh, my dad was uh, kind of a leader in the community and charge of the university club, the Drowleyston Open, the Orange Bowl. I mean, he did everything. Wow. And so we had lots of, lots of civic fun, exciting things that we did as, as kids, and, and uh, uh, it was uh, you didn't realize kind of how Id idyllic your life was uh, at the time, but, right. but it was, and uh, my mom and dad loved each other deeply. And uh, when I was 12, I asked Jesus into my heart in the back of a Presbyterian Sunday school class, and uh, I knew I was different. Something happened, mm -hmm. and, but I didn't have any discipleship. There was no there was no kind of follow-up after that, so I just began reading a chapter a day in my Bible, mm. and that's kind of how I started. And it, but it was in it was college when I made my what I'd consider my adult decision to follow Jesus right. and really got serious about making Him Lord and pursuing Him, and and basically Janice was a big part of that. Mm. So uh, I would say, kind of a summary of my kind of the decades, the 20s, God showed us his heart for evangelism and the nations and challenged us to step out in faith. And we went to Japan as missionaries wow. and, and uh, planted a church in Tokyo. And he began to teach us about spiritual warfare. Uh, there, there was, uh, I can tell you a story about something that happened to our toddler daughter, Joy, in that time, and, mm. and, uh, and then also our son, Jason. Mm. Um, in our 30s, we were led into international business and I went to seminary for a period of time and then back into ministry working with urban kids. Uh, part of that decade, I was 
working with leaders in industry and and government leaders around the world. I, I met with the top leaders at Goldman Sachs at the top of their building on Wall Street. I oh. met with Simone Perez, who was then one of the government ministers in Israel. I met with the vice premier of China. Uh, it was a pretty heady time for me. Um, but I, in a, meet, in a business meeting after a month in Russia with uh, the guy who was the chairman of my company at the time, I saw some things and some corruption and things happening that it's a longer story that I, uh, I ultimately came to kind of a crisis of, of in a decision point in my life where I knew my future was in the balance. Mm. That uh, if I stayed on the current course that I was headed, I was going to have to sacrifice integrity and possibly family and maybe even my life. Mm. And so I woke up one morning after spending most of the night in prayer at the Radisson Slavianskaya Hotel on my knees and said, God, I, I, uh, I just want to see my grandkids someday. And I woke up the next morning, resigned my position, flew back to America and wow. uh, uh, left a lot of money on the table in order to do that. But it was the right decision for several months later. I was called by a guy by the name of Joe White to to run a nonprofit in Branson, Missouri called Kids Across America. Yeah. And, and that kind of redirected our life. And it's a great camp. Oh, it's phenomenal. I worked there two summers. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I worked at KA2. What year, what year uh, 2003 and 2004. Oh, so I left there in 99. So, oh, okay. So but I laid a good foundation. It's, it's, a, it's a great place. It's, it's holds awesome. a place in my heart. It's awesome. Bruce Morgan runs it now, and he's he's one of my dear friends, and uh, we still support him. We love we love that ministry. Mm. And uh, but it was during that season at Kids Across America that I really began to learn God's heart for the disadvantaged and for the poor. And I learned His heart for the nations when we were in Japan, but it was uh, it was a whole different thing to now all of a sudden begin to learn His heart for for uh, the disadvantaged and the poor. Right. And uh, and so I, I kind of had the unique experience of, of kind of ministry on both ends of the power scale, kind of world leaders and, and key uh, influencers, and then all the way down to the, the inner city kid who had no male influence in his life right. and no prospects for hope and opportunity. And, mm -hmm. and I, was, I saw how Jesus was the hope for both, yeah. for the whole end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then... Uh, during that season in my 30s, I had probably a couple of the most profound angelic encounters, experiences in my life that really helped shape me. Mm. Then in my 40s, uh, God began to expand my understanding of His heart for the poor uh, around the world because I was uh, asked to run a ministry manufacturing facility in Israel called Megavoice where we developed audio tools. Awesome. to give the believing poor access to the Word of God, mm -hmm. solar-powered audio players. Um, my good friend Charles Sabini runs Mega Voice now. But that those years, those five years were, were awesome because I traveled to probably 40 different nations, yeah, able to kind of distribute God's right. Word in an audio format to, uh, to the poor of the earth. And half the world's population is non-literate. Mm. live on less than two dollars a day so they don't have a bible because wow. they can't read it and so when you can give them an audio bible right they can't afford batteries that's now powered by the sun mm -hmm. then now you have opened up a world of spiritual growth and opportunity and evangelism mm -hmm. and uh, this is the first generation that really can finish the task because of technology yeah uh, all the work that's being done by Seed Company and Wycliffe and others to translate the scripture into the heart languages of all these people around the world. Uh, they're getting it for the first time now. You, you, you do the translation work, but somebody can't read, what good is it? Right. You do the translation work and put it in audio format, now they don't have to read. Right. And so it's, uh, it's been awesome to see, um, to see God's heart and what's happening in this generation in terms of the rapid expanse of the gospel around the globe. And I traveled to some of the most challenging spots on the globe as well. I've been in the slums of Mumbai, Calcutta, and uh, in Johannesburg, in Soweto. I've been to the uh, rebel-occupied territories out in uh, 
uh, Ganta, Liberia. Mm. Yeah, I was there two weeks before it was overrun by the rebels and everybody there was killed. Oh, gosh. I was in uh, um, Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon. I've been to the Muslim Sasak villages in Indonesia. Mm. I've been to the Wa Hill tribes in, in Myanmar. I've had AK-47s pointed at my head. I've had, uh, uh, I've had to travel uh, by foot. I've had to travel by motorcycle. We had to cross. We had to cross over rivers to get around military checkpoints. I mean, it just—it's—it's—it's it's all been pretty exciting because in each place I saw God at work in miraculous ways. Been all over China. Uh, traveled over the Gobi Desert. Flew over the Gobi. Didn't actually travel on the Gobi. Flew over the Gobi to Urumqi, which is the furthest inland city wow. on the earth, and. Uh, it's just been a been an adventure. When I said yes to Jesus, I had no idea what I was going right. to sign up for, and he has uh, he's been very very faithful. That's awesome. That's that's so incredible to be a part of so many different things going on in the world. And um, you know, I know that your heart is just for people to know Jesus, and that includes all people. You know, yeah. whether they're overseas or the ones that are probably less reached people groups here, even in the U.S. or ones that are disadvantaged, they don't have the kind of discipleship in their homes that you would need, and this, the kids that are affected by things like KAA and um, other urban ministries, but I think that's incredible. I mean, that's quite a long list of places to have worked and lived and to serve in all these different ways, and I think it's cool that you're describing it as an adventure, because it's not supposed to be boring when we follow Jesus, right? There's exactly. There's a lot in there, and if you're living a boring life, you're probably saying no to a lot of what Jesus really wants for you. So Yeah, I mean, Jesus said, John 10.10, 10, I've come that you would have life mm. and have it more abundantly. More abundantly than what? More abundantly than what the world offers. Right. But uh, we got to say yes to Jesus right. to be able to experience the more abundant life. And mm. you've got to be willing to take, out, take some steps of faith, mm-hmm. get out of your comfort zone, but the reality is, uh, this God that created this awesome world, the expanse of the heavens, all of the, the, uh, the glory of creation that we see, mm. when he invites us into his family, it's not, it's not so that one day we can sit on a cloud someday playing a harp. Right. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. not the goal of our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he invites us into the great adventure. Right. His great story. And mm-hmm. we can become part of it. And so, I, I, even as a kid, I didn't have discipleship, but I'd read the Bible. As I'm reading the Bible, I'd say, how come the stuff I'm reading I don't see happening today? What, what is it? What? I mean, I want to see the same God I read about. Mm. I want to see yeah. that. And so that, that kind of stirred in my heart early as, right. as, a, as, a, as a young boy because I just didn't see it. Right. And uh, so when, when I got to college and I finally met... Uh, Janice and I met other group of young people who, who felt the same way. They said, we're not settling for just easy believism, just kind of go to church on Sunday and, and that be the extent of our lives. We want everything God has for us and yeah. we're not going to settle for anything less. In fact, I, I'm reading a book right now called They Found the Secret. It, uh, um, I'm not going to name the country because I don't want to get these, this couple in, uh, in trouble, but but uh, this, uh, we were with, in August, we were with a couple that is just what I consider heroes of the faith, mm-hmm. a, mis- a missionary couple that are one of 35 foreign followers of Jesus that are still in a particular Muslim city wow. uh, that is a very violent place. Mm-hmm. They've seen uh, dozens of their friends and other missionaries martyred. And lots of their, lots of their, uh, uh, their friends who were were just Muslims in the in the community, and, uh, and so every day they're there. They know it could be their last. They know they're taking a risk, but they're there as an emissary for the King for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they said they were telling us about. It. They said, "Hey, we read this book that has just totally it profoundly impacted us." And basically, it's it's uh, they found the secret. It's a story. It's it's a, a series of I don't know a dozen, two dozen um, stories of 
famous men and women, fathers and mothers in the faith. You talk about D.L. Moody and mm-hmm. and uh, John Brainerd and Amy Carmichael and Oswald Chambers and and folks like that. Right. It's it, it just s- stories in their own words about basically how they came to a place of acknowledging they needed the filling of the Holy Spirit. They needed to be empowered outside of their own strength to love God and to serve Him. Mm. You know, most of them came to a place of desperation where he said, man, the Christian life, it just isn't working. Right. They're frustrated. They're, 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 they wanted more, and they, came, they were coming up to a roadblock in their own heart and their own life. And they, 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 and it's all their own individual journeys of how they came there, but how they, they encountered God afresh. They'd already all been believers, but they encountered God yeah. afresh. And, and uh, you know, Janice and I came to a place of recognizing we needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit when we were in college. And it's one of the things that really drew us together, um, actually, she really uh, challenged me that I needed it. I didn't think I did. And, and as I studied the scripture and watched her life, and I realized I did. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that just happens once. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit regularly. Mm-hmm. We can't live this life without God's power. Okay. You know, we were, we, were, we, were, we were deposited into a world at war when we were born. And if, if, if we think we're going to live this life without the life of God flowing in us and the power of God, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to get chewed up and spit out. You know, Jesus said, uh, he said, in this world, you will suffer tribulation, but be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the Paul talks about the weapons of our warfare and, and uh, uh, the, the, the scripture is, is full of of kind of reminders, warnings, cautions that we have a very real enemy out there, mm-hmm. and if we don't understand how to fight spiritual warfare, if we don't understand the battle in front of us, and if we don't receive the tools, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the tools that God gives us in order to stand against the strategies, the plans, the devices of the enemy against us is a battle for your heart, for my heart, and for everybody we love. And if we don't understand how to fight that, then when bad things happen, we're going to get mad at God, shake our fist at him, blame him for something he had nothing to do with, or uh, uh, think that he doesn't exist or that he doesn't care. And that is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Right. Instead of recognizing, no, God's called us to battle and to win. Right. So so those are the things that, that uh, we began to learn very quickly mm-hmm. as we got on the field, particularly when you get to a spiritually dark place like Japan. Uh, you know, uh, the Japanese people are very spiritual people. Uh, they're the, uh, unfortunately, the spirit of deception is very heavy in Japan. The Shintoism, the Buddhism, and mm-hmm. the other false religions have, but they know there's a spiritual world. They're very aware of it. And, uh, and we encountered it very quickly after we arrived. Yeah. Um, that's, it's so good to hear, you know, and be reminded of, you know, suffering being important to our growth. Um, I think I heard an analogy. It, it, I don't remember when I heard it, but it's been years ago. But if you were to look at our lives, our spiritual lives, like a plant, like we need water and sunlight to grow. And the water could be being you know, fed by God's word can come through um, hearing it through, you know, pastoral care, those kind of things. But the sunlight is mm-hmm. our suffering, basically. It's, it can dry, if it's not watered with that, it can be, can dry up and ruin the plant. But if the two are working together, mm-hmm. then that's when we experience growth, when we have to, but we can't, but if we're bitter and we're turning our back on God because we have improper understanding of who God is and how he operates, mm-hmm. then we don't, we don't see that sunlight as a blessing. Mm. We don't see what it's doing in us. And I'm not saying that you should, you're should. you gonna have terrible things happen and you know immediately be like, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like that's not always how it's gonna work out. But mm. as long as you're understanding God's faithfulness and God's goodness and that and growing and still trusting that even if you don't feel that nearness to God necessarily, He is 
very much with you in the midst of your suffering. And he is going to take something that happens because we live in a fallen world and turn it into something beautiful. And um, yeah, I've seen that a lot in my own life, things that I thought, I'm not sure how we're going to come back from this. Or I'm not sure, God, what are you doing? You know, when you know, losing jobs, those kind of things have, have been more difficult than I ever thought they would be on me. I always thought I would just kind of... Well, let me ask you a question, yeah. Stephanie. Is, is well, it, this is my interview. <laughs> I know, but I know. But <laughs> it, okay. It, is it not true, though, as you look back over your life, that the times of the greatest suffering, the times of the greatest trial, have also been the times of the greatest growth? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, don't you wish it wasn't so? No, I mean, like, God, you can do anything. Surely you can just mature me without the, the suffering. But yeah, no, it's it's very true. I mean, there have been so many great things that I can look back and be like, I would have never experienced this if I didn't go through the suffering. Mm -hmm. And like that suffering doesn't feel good, but it sure, it you know, it brings me closer to the Lord. And, you know, even beyond that, in relationships, a lot of times it brings you closer to your spouse when you go through suffering together from a very human standpoint but that's because you're depending more on the lord together so yeah. that triangular kind of relationship with you and your spouse at the bottom connected to the lord is just getting tighter and tighter mm. so i think that's what happens with suffering and it's so important well you know as a kid growing up my mom precious woman of god mm. but had a theological understanding that i strongly disagree with now because she would say every day she'd say everything happens for a reason jimmy yeah. Everything happens for a reason. And uh, um, basically, she was saying, basically, God's in control of everything. And mm -hmm. I, I believe it's a, it's a perverted view of the sovereignty of God. Right. Because you know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. If, if, if God's will was always being done on earth, that prayer would be foolish. Right. The fact of the matter is God's will is not being done all mm -hmm. the time on the earth. That's why God wants us as his emissaries and his regents on the earth right. to pray that. So that increasingly that will happen because it's not. The little girl getting raped in Thailand, as mm -hmm. this interview is going on right now by some crazy pedophile, that is not God's will. Right. You know, the, the, the mama, the young mama dying of cancer, leaving three children behind, that is not God's will. Right. There is so much pain and anguish that's, that's, that it is put on God mm -hmm. that he has nothing to do with. Right. Now, can God use that stuff? Obviously, he can. Right. You know, Romans 8 promises us that, mm -hmm. right? God will work all things together to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He can, he can bring peace he can bring joy, he can bring meaning, he can bring uh, purpose in the midst of anything the enemy tries to do. He can turn it around. But we have an enemy and his name's not God. Right. There's one that did come to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm -hmm. Jesus warned him about him. Yeah. And, and the Bible says, he, he, basically, he hadn't just come to, to make things miserable for you. He's come to eviscerate, to annihilate, to kill you. He right. wants to take you out. Yeah. God, Jesus went on, came on a rescue mission to save us and right. to give us the tool. But we get it confused. We think, well, if God's all-powerful, he could have stopped it, so, so he must not care. Well, that's a, that, that, that's a complete misunderstanding right. of, of where we are right. in, in the world and, and what God's called us to do. But the, the point is, you know, I was, well, let me back up and just say, I was with... Uh, a small group in Orlando several months ago when a guy by the name of Gordon McDonald, who's a, one of the fathers of the faith, came to speak. And he's in his 80s now. Mm. And he had, his talk was titled uh, Perspective or Reflections Back from the 80s. Basically, the idea from his 80s as an 80-year-old plus man, what would he tell us? So a father in the faith speaking right. to the younger generations. And one of his points, he had many brilliant ones, but one of his points was, for the follower of Jesus, you need to understand that suffering is normative. Mm -hmm. That um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's part of life. Right. And when you 
if, if every time you something bad happens, all of a sudden it shocks your world and you get mad and shake your fist at God or wondering why God, why me, it has power over you. But if you realize that it's normative, you were born into a world at war, there's a battle for your heart and everybody around, you've got an enemy that you're fighting, and you've got a God who loves you, and you and you have perspective on it, then all of a sudden that suffering, that that incident, that that bad news, that thing that's happened mm. to you that's shaking your world, all of a sudden it loses its power because mm. you know, hey, this is normal. I live in a broken world. I'm not in heaven yet. While I'm here in these in my flesh, I have to learn to fight the one who has come to steal and destroy, and I have to put my trust in the one who loves me, who came to rescue me. And if I'll do that, he promises a, a life of that's more abundant. He right. promises joy and peace in the midst of it, but it's not it's not dependent on my circumstances. It has nothing to do with my circumstances. It's dependent on whose I am, not right. on my circumstances. Um, I, I, uh, I used to think life was like a roller coaster. Things would go good for a while. Things would go bad. Those would, it's just kind of up and down, up and down. I don't think of it that way anymore. I, it's, I, I, I think of life as railroad tracks now. One rail represents the joys, the blessings, the favor, the, the, uh, the great things that are happening in my life. And the other rail, going right alongside with it, are the trials, the difficulties, and the challenges. Mm-hmm. And both of those rails are happening at the same time. Right. And so what happens for many of us is when the bad thing happens, we live on that side of the rail. Uh-huh. And we, we refuse to look at the other rail, what the good things that are happening. Right. The Bible tells us clearly, you know, whatever, let your mind, whatever is good, pure, and of holy, let your mind dwell on these things. Uh-huh. And a good report, let your mind dwell on these things. It's very important we learn to offer the sacrifice of praise. We have a thankful heart. We, we, we don't allow ourselves to become the person who dwells on the, on the rail of, of the side of the tracks that is only focused on the bad things that are happening. Right. When we recognize, hey, at every moment in my life, I've either just come out of a trial, I'm... I'm, or I'm just getting ready to go into one, or right. I'm in one now. I mean, that's that's right. just the way life is. Mm-hmm. But the good news is, as the follower of Jesus, I ain't going into that thing alone. Right. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and the Abednego in the fiery furnace. There was one who was with them right. in the furnace, and uh, and some of the some of the trials we've been in, by the mercy and the grace of God, He's delivered us out of them. Some of them, he's just walked with us in it. Right. And we've had to go through it. And you just never know what it's going to be. Like my son with autism. I mean, that's unless Jesus heals him, we're going to deal with that one for the rest of our lives. Right. Uh, but there's others that he's just miraculously delivered us from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we, were, we were taken in a... Uh, when, I, when, when Joy and Chad were in college in Florida... Jason was a was in college at Baylor, and Jake was um, in a private, very expensive private school for kids with developmental issues in Kansas City. So I had four in college at once. Mm-hmm. Our money was stolen from us in an investment scam, where a thousand other families like us have been taken in a massive Ponzi scheme. Mm. Uh, basically, they use the name of Jesus and Christian. Uh, mission and that sort of things as, as, as part of their promotion. And we thought we were diversified because there were lots of different varied projects within it, but the whole we didn't realize the whole thing was corrupt. Mm. And uh, got a call from the FBI one night while Janice was recovering from a hysterectomy. And they said, Mr. Shivers, we hate to inform you, but you're a victim of a massive Ponzi scheme and your money has been stolen and we don't expect recovery of more than about 5% of what's been uh-huh. stolen. And I got four in college. Uh-huh. This, this, uh, this was my, that, those funds were uh, funding our uh, ministry efforts that we had started around the world. And all of a sudden I found myself without my wealth without um, my source of income on a monthly basis, without the ability to pay for all my kids in college, mm-hmm. and uh, Joy and Chad were gonna be married 
a year later. I already had the date set. Mm -hmm. So I found myself without the money to pay for my daughter's wedding. Right. I mean, one thing after another. And uh, and I had prayed okay. before I had invested in this group. I had sought wise counsel. I had done due, due diligence. Mm -hmm. So all kinds of questions are swirling in my mind. How did I miss God? God, how did you let this happen? God, why? 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 In the midst of all of that, um, I just felt like God spoke through the scripture to my heart, to uh, the story. Do you remember the story on the Sea of Galilee when the, uh, the uh, disciples were out on the, out on the water and uh, a storm came up. Jesus sent them to the other side on the boat and he said, I'll come join you. And a storm came up while they were out there. Now Jesus sent them, they're in a storm, mm -hmm. And they're freaking out. They're afraid they're going to die because of the wind and the waves. And then uh, they see Jesus walking on the water. Mm -hmm. And uh, they cry out to him, and he gets in the boat. And the wind and the, immediately the wind and the waves calm down. Mm -hmm. And um, I just was, I felt like the Lord said, you're asking the wrong question. It's not, don't ask why this happened. It's how are you going to respond? You're going to cry out to me and get me in your boat, or are you going to try to fight this on your own? Right. And so I said, "Okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you in the boat. I don't know how I got here. Yeah, I, I don't know how this happened. I don't know why this happened. But Jesus, you're the you say if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm -hmm. You never once harmed anybody. You never once made anybody sick. You never once." Uh, punished anyone. I mean, it was, I look at your life and ministry on the earth. It was always loving, giving, caring, serving, helping, healing, delivering, setting people free. That's who you are. Mm -hmm. You say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So that's who God is. So I don't know how I got here, but I know you're good God. Right. So I just want you in my boat, Jesus, get mm -hmm. us the other side. Uh, I can't tell you what happened over the course of that year at a place in my life where we had nothing, where we'd lost everything, where I have all these kids in college. I wanna tell you this, I got a call from a guy a couple weeks later who, who said, Jim, both my daughters graduated from Baylor. I don't have that expense anymore. I wanna pick up the tuition payments for your son for the rest of his time at Baylor. That's amazing. That's quite a generous <laughs> offer. <laughs> My daughter's wedding, she ended up having the most beautiful wedding a year later, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I can't tell you the number of miracles that happened to pull that thing together. My son, Jake, didn't miss one day a class at the special needs school that he was at. Right. I mean, one thing after, and, and then three months after this had happened, I found myself in Tiberias, Israel at the Sheraton Hotel, sitting out over the Sea of Galilee, and I opened my Bible to do uh, my devotions that morning, and is that very passage mm. that that God administered to my heart? I'm right. looking out over the Sea of Galilee, at towards Tiberius, the very direction where Jesus had this encounter, where where with his disciples, and I was I was there in Tiberius to interview with uh, Mega Voice to to be the president of the company, and this is before the interview, and I said, God. This is a, this clearly you're you're confirming in my heart that that this is what you wanted. You wanted me in Tiberius to have this job mm -hmm. to trust you. So sure enough, I went in the interview. I was hired and I I served there for five years. Wow! But I would have never been in Israel if I hadn't lost everything. Right. I, I mean, we can't. Sometimes we can't make any sense out of out of the things that happen, but God can. Right. God weaves this tapestry together that we don't understand, but he, it was, uh, so I sat there, I sat, after I was reading that that scripture and saw this is where it happened. How many times you get to read the Bible and say, man, this is, this yeah. is where it happened. Mm -hmm. But then beyond that, it's the very place, the very scripture that God used to heal your heart. Mm. So I, uh, I knew when going to that interview, I had the job. It wasn't even a question now because of what God had done. And uh, and by God's grace, we served there for 
for five years and I traveled all over the world and, and uh, got to see some amazing men and women of God doing amazing things in uh, some of the toughest parts of the globe. Right. And so. Well, that's, that's really cool. When you were talking earlier though about, um, you know, that everything happens for a reason and, you know, there's a lot of similar kind of phrases out there that it's kind of like, like fatalism. Like you have no control. It's just going to happen to me life. I don't have any control over. And it almost, I mean, we, we can't control all the factors of life, but there are things that we can do to help people in need. Like you mentioned a couple of like, you know, somebody being raped in another country, someone who's, you know, maybe starving, living off of no money. We also have a responsibility to, to try and help those needs. And we're, we are what God is choosing to use in so many situations. So I think that's cool because other people became that to you. Like you had been a blessing to many people over the years in serving in ministry and you know, God's rewarding that faithfulness in ways that you wouldn't expect and showing you like, you know, I know you, you tried this on, on your own or, you know, I know you had good intentions, but I'm going to blow you away with what I'm going to do yeah. because I mean, that's, and so much of the time that is wrapped up in money. Like that's, well, and, and uh, you don't, humility is not something you, that comes easily. Right. It comes through brokenness. Mm -hmm. And that period of time was a time of deep brokenness for us, right? right? I mean, uh, uh, the uh, there were so many people that reached out to us and helped us during that season that, that uh, and each gift was deeply appreciated and, mm -hmm. and the kindness of God was demonstrated in so many ways. Right. But there were equal number of people who criticized, you, you know, what a stupid guy investing in that group, or, you know, how did you let that happen? I mean, you got, wow. it's, there is, Keeping and so, you while you're down. well, yeah, yeah, but, but you saw that yeah. with Job, right? right? You read the story of Job. Uh, I mean, somehow it's part of the human condition. People think more highly of themselves if they can see somebody else get beaten down, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, but that's, the that's that's human nature and that's something they understand it's certainly not appropriate but but um it served a good purpose for me because it helped deepen uh my need for humility which is constant right i mean we we with pride cometh before the fall and uh i'm sure i made mistakes in the process too but god didn't want me focused on that he wanted me focused on him and mm -hmm. and uh and I quite honestly, I think the greatest virtue for spiritual leadership is humility. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I look for in those that I serve with, those that I listen to in terms of their teaching, mm -hmm. uh, and those that, uh, that I defer to is humility. Because to me, that's the greatest, that's the greatest virtue. But it, it, humility comes at a cost. Yeah. So you shared a lot about how you came to know Jesus, um, you know, happening at the age of 12 and, um, you know, what God did after in college. Is there anything else about um, your initial, like, becoming a Christian and what kind of spoke to you and got, when you were 12 years old, what sort of drew you in? Or when did you feel maybe called to ministry? I guess would probably be a better. Well, um, my mom and dad were faithful to take us to, to church the whole time we were kids. Mm -hmm. and But my dad really didn't become a, a real follower of Jesus until he got involved in a men's group while I was in high school. Uh, but neither one of them had a real understanding of, of kind of what I would call um, a, an intimate personal relationship with Jesus where they, where they really understood and expected to hear his voice mm -hmm. and expected real instruction or real communication it was more i believe he's the son of god mm -hmm. and i'm going to i'm going to live my life in a way that honors him and that's that's wonderful but right. that's that's kind of level 1 christianity mm -hmm. you know if we're go, if we're going to um, really accomplish the purposes that god has for our life 
we've got to go beyond that. Right. We've move got to come from, to, move past the spiritual milk. And yeah, we've got to come to a place where we're actually developing a relationship with Jesus, where we're where we're uh, learning to hear His voice and then do what He says and have the give and take there, and then and then experiencing life out of relationship with right. Him. And I didn't have that, but I, I, like I said before, I saw that in this in the scripture, and I knew that it's something I wanted. And so I had a sense, I had a sense even back then, I, I would see my my pastor, and I'd say, I want to be in ministry, but I don't want to look like that. I don't want to do what he's doing. <laughs> then I'd see my dad doing business, and I said, I want to do business, but I don't want to do that. Mm. So there was this sense that I was going to do both, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. I had no grid for it. Mm -hmm. And now as I look back over the last 40 years of, of life in ministry, I see uh, that that I've done both. I've right. done the business and I've done ministry. I've done pastoring. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've done, it, I've done a lot of different things. But I, if, if God had told me then what I was going to do, I wouldn't have understood. Um, so... What do you feel like is the earliest memory you have of God doing miraculous things? Um, well, and you know, Bible says we go from faith to faith, right? We we um, trusted with a little, entrusted uh, with a little, given much, right? There, mm -hmm. There's a growth process. So most people don't start with some great big miracle. It's, it starts by obedience and the small things, and then and then over time, you'll begin to see bigger and bigger things happen. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the way it was with me. I mean, uh, the first things I remember was beginning to pray about, God, where am I supposed to go to college? And how, and how he kind of opened the doors and spoke clearly what I was supposed to do there. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome for me to, to kind of have God kind of direct it so that you, that happens and then you get this this uh, ex, this uh, confidence the next time and, right. and then uh, then who are you going to marry and you know I knew I was going to marry Janice a long time before she knew <laughs> she was going to marry me and <laughs> and so trusting him for that was yeah. uh, was was awesome and to see that come about and then what am I going to do after college and have have God open those doors and confirm but it was really when we said yes felt like God was speaking to both Janice and I independently and then together to go to Japan as missionaries. It was, uh, I was uh, a young man that needed some humbling. I was, I, I had played college football at the University of Florida, so I was in some ways, uh, uh, um, I think, overconfident mm -hmm. and uh, prideful. And... Um, we were going to go to Japan and change Japan for Jesus. You know, we had this idea that somehow, even though there had been 2,000 years of mission efforts, yeah. that we were going to be the ones that actually broke through over there. Right. And, uh, and so there was a, a friend of mine who was a professor at the University of Georgia. He had a prayer group at, at his house, and they started praying for us before we went for Japan. To Japan, and he came. He came to me, and he said, uh, "Jim, I didn't live in in Gainesville, Georgia. I lived in Gainesville, Florida. But uh -huh. he he and I were friends." And he said, uh, "said Jim, we've been praying and and as a group for several weeks for you, and we feel like the Lord has identified three kind of spiritual forces, principalities that you're going to be dealing with when you get to Japan." Uh -huh. And I had no grid for what he was telling me at that point. Yeah. I thought, what? <laughs> in Athens, Georgia, mm -hmm. you somehow are getting discernment what's happening in Japan, mm -hmm. and you're going to tell me. And so, uh, and he, he named, he said, Witchcraft, Pride, and Beelzebub. And I, I thanked him for his kindness for praying for us, mm -hmm. but I totally disregarded that and forgot yeah. about it. Because I didn't, I, I, my, in my spiritual immaturity at the time, I did not have a grid for that. So, lo and behold, we get to Japan, we start ministry there. <coughs> Series of real neat miracles on how God directed us, where to start. We got a home near, near uh, one of the big college campuses there called Nippon Daigaku. And um, uh, 
that home happened to have a music studio attached to us, which became our chapel or where we started okay. our home church. Yeah. And it was soundproof too, and because it had been a music studio, so it it was perfect. And we were by a bunch of young people, so they all wanted to talk English and talk to the Americans. So getting people over was easy. And right. but our daughter was. Uh, three, I think, when we got there, and immediately she began having these kind of these these periodic fits of, of rage and defiance that was very uncommon, very unusual, something we'd never experienced before. Right. And we uh, we didn't know what to do. I mean, mm. we tried spanking her and putting her in a corner and uh, time out, and um, nothing worked. And Janice started, would start reading her Bible and putting worship music on every time it would happen. And she'd say, don't read your Bible, Mommy. Close your Bible, Mommy. Wow. And uh, now, you know Joy. She's your buddy now. Yeah. I mean, most beautiful, godly young mm -hmm. woman. It's hard to even imagine. But right. at, at three, she was clearly being tormented. Mm -hmm. But you need to understand something. As a, as a young Christian leader at that time, I had no grid for the idea that my daughter could somehow be influenced by the enemy or tormented by her because mm -hmm. she's the daughter of a Christian family. How mm -hmm. could that happen? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, our son, well, this goes on for a good year, and our son Jason was born uh, uh, in Tokyo prematurely. And it's a whole other miracle story because uh, uh, there's a dramatic miracle on how he survived that and how God provided the blood for him. But, mm. but let me finish this story first. He, he, uh, so in the midst of that, Janice's mom flies over to help watch Joy while we are dealing with Jason in the mm. neonatal intensive care unit in the hospital and all that. So I come home one day from the hospital and my mother-in-law was a godly woman, intercessor, um, she says, Jim, let me tell you a story. She related the story of how Joy was having a fit. Mm -hmm. And she said, I looked at her in the eyes and I said, who are you? In the name of Jesus, who are you? And uh, your little daughter said something like Beelzebub. Mm. <laughs> and I, respond to that? And, I, and she said, I don't know what that word means. This is what my mother-in-law oh. said. I said, I know what it means. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the Athens prayer group mm -hmm. came back to me and I said, Oh, God, I repent for my pride, my arrogance, my lack of humility. And I went and grabbed my little girl, put her in my arms, put her in front of me. She was having one of the fits at the moment. And I said, In the name of Jesus, you foul, stinking spirit of Beelzebub, let my daughter go! And she... Just went, oh, and put her arms around me mm. and never had a problem again. That gives me chills. That's, that's crazy. I can't imagine. <clears throat> well, my theology changed. Right. <laughs> what kind of church did you grow up in, did you say? A Presbyterian A Presbyterian. Church. Yeah, so, that's probably I, not super common in Presbyterian churches. No, it's not common in most, most American, American churches. Most American churches, yeah. I, even the charismatic churches, you know, you've got... You know, C.S. Lewis says in America, you have in the West, you have problems uh, with either the devil doesn't do anything or the devil's responsible for everything. Right. I mean, it's one end of the spectrum or the other. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, most American churches, because we are rationalistic mindset, mm -hmm. you know, what we we're not even taught about the spiritual world. We're right. really not taught about how to war with against the spiritual forces of darkness right. and that is to our peril mm. uh, I, in the last eight years i have served as the president of a of a residential care center that has dealt with struggling teenagers many of which struggling with addictions depression anxiety fear many of them have come out of abusive situations right. many of them have have been abused and, and uh, a lot of them tormented. And the reality is, if you don't go into that situation without spiritual weapons, you're not going to be setting a lot of people free. Right. If all you have to bring to the table 
is is uh, um, you know platitudes and uh, and principles. Mm-hmm. You're not going to set people free when the when the issue is spiritual darkness. Right. And so uh, we've this generation, the generation we're in now, is what they're facing is so much more dark and difficult than what I had to face when I was their age. Mm. I got so much more compassion for this group of kids uh, and what they're facing than what I grew up with. I mean, the reality is when I was a kid, the influences in my life were a few friends and their families, and, uh, and, and then we had three major networks and uh, the UHF channel. And you're talking about Gilligan's Islands, Hogan Heroes, right. and, uh, uh, you know, My Three Sons. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the, the influence that the kids that, that, uh, that are coming up today have. Mm-hmm. This is the first generation raised on the cell phone, first of all. Right. And moms and dads are letting people in their home through the technology screen that never would they open the door of their house to invite them in personally. Right. But they're coming in. They're coming in to the to the tune of nine hours a day. The mm-hmm. average American teenager spends nine hours a day on electronic media. And moms and dads have very little understanding of what they're getting. Right. You know, most parents understand the negative um, uh, lyrics, but they don't know what's happening with music, for example, they don't know what's happening neurologically to mm-hmm. to their kids because of screen time. They don't know what's happening sociologically to their kids because of screen time and mm-hmm. because of not not having personal interaction, but having these you know few seconds of multiple interactions and what that does to the ability to concentrate, to focus. And um, in fact, there was a study done in the University, I think UCLA, um, uh, that. Uh, I think the the rates of depression are directly related to the amount of time that a young person spends on electronic media. Wow! It's it, they correlate exactly, mm-hmm. and so the um, and anxiety and depression are off the charts right now. The last ten years have been a doubling of suicidal admissions mm-hmm. uh, for teenagers around the country. There's been a a rapid increase of the the uh, prescription drugs for uh, antipsychotics and, and psychotropic drugs, the, all of that stuff is is uh, is uh, skyrocketed as a result of kind of what's I would call a real mental health crisis that's mm-hmm. afflic- afflicting afflicting our this generation. There is a spiritual battle for hearts and minds, mm-hmm. and the enemy is using lots of different tools to do it. I love hearing about how faithfully Jim has served God throughout his life. He has stories that are so powerful, and each one demonstrates God's faithfulness to Jim and his family, and how God met all of his needs so incredibly. I hope this episode was a blessing to you, and I can't wait for you to hear part two. So until next time, remember to stay faithful, friends.